Uh, we're going to take a look at Matthew chapter 19 this morning. Matthew chapter 19, just a couple of verses there, and we're going to see those in just a few moments. But we started a brand new series of messages last week called The Promises of God. And one of the things that we were looking at is from that passage in Exodus chapter 6, we discovered that the people did not believe the promises of God, not because of their disobedience or their rebellion or the brokenness of who they were, but it was because they had a broken spirit and they were exhausted by their circumstances. And as I was reading that passage devotionally not too many weeks ago, I said, that's who we are. We are a people of broken spirits and we are a people who are exhausted by our circumstances. And it is my conviction, it is my belief that the remedy for that broken spirit and the exhaustion of our souls and the harshness of our circumstances is to find ourselves awash in the promises of God. And so here's what my commitment is, is that we're going to spend the next several months just bathing, basking in, just sitting under the promises of God and allowing that person of God, the character of God, his good word to us to restore us, to refresh us, to renew us, to rebuild us. And maybe for some folks to begin a brand new relationship with him as well. And so we look at our first set of promises this morning. Uh, we kind of chose these because it's related to our Kids Sunday that we're going to be celebrating at, at 11 o'clock this morning. Uh, but it's Matthew chapter 19, verses 13 and 14. And in fact, it's so short. Let's read them together. Can we do that? On the screen here it says, then children, this will be out loud, all right, you ready? It didn't seem like you were quite ready. I felt like maybe there was a little timid. Are we really doing this? We're really doing this. You ready? All right, here we go. Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. The promises of God, which are the remedy for the broken spirit. So what are the promises that we find in this passage of Scripture this morning? I want you to notice a couple of things that some of them are really, really obvious, and I really want you to hear them. But I want you to hear all of the promises this morning in this passage of Scripture. The first one is kind of obvious. Are you ready? You're like, I could do that job. I can find these promises. Here it is. The promise is, number one, Jesus cares for children. Jesus cares for children, and this is so clear. Now, when we go back and we look at this passage of Scripture, it's kind of an embarrassing moment for the disciples, don't you think? It is kind of an embarrassing moment for the disciples because Jesus says to the disciples, he kind of walks up and says, hold up, what are you guys doing? What's going on right now? And I don't know who the spokesman for the disciples were, but it probably went something like this. Um, um, we're, we're telling these kids to scram? It's like, what are you doing? Now, I'm sure that the disciples inside of their head, it sounded like a better idea in their head than it did out loud. You know, when we were telling these kids to go away, geez, we're trying to get rid of these kids. Now, they, they should have known better, right? But see, a lot of the things that we mess up, we should have known better. But we just kind of get caught. We kind of step in it without realizing it, without thinking it all the way through. And so I, I'm trying to understand, okay, what, 
What are the disciples thinking? Well, first of all, we, we see from other places that there is a crush of people around Jesus. There's constantly crowds that, that are physically almost, you know, there's, there's almost a physical crush around him. There's so many people. And so as the disciples are trying to filter all of this out, they, they just start saying, okay, listen, we've we got to minimize this crowd. The easiest thing to do is if we start with our kids. Let's, 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 let's get the kids out of here. That'll be the best way to filter what's going on here. I think there was also culturally in that time, probably even more so than our time, the idea that kids are to be seen and not heard. It's not their time yet. When they get older, then they matter. But right now, they just kind of need to be there, and we don't really need to hear from them. And I think, I don't understand what this is, but there's something inside of our DNA as we grow up as men that say, get off my lawn. You know what I mean? You're in the way. Get off my lawn. And so whether they were just trying to do crowd control, whether it was just this cultural sense of, listen, these kids just don't matter that much right now, get out of the way, or whether they're just like, God, kids. It was a normal reaction for them to try to filter through all of the people trying to get to Jesus and saying, listen, kids to the back of the line. But normal reactions aren't what Jesus is looking for. In fact, we've been talking for some time now uh, about this definition of what it means to be a growing disciple uh, of Jesus. In fact, the growing disciple of Jesus embraces, joyfully embraces the patterns, the priorities, and the purpose of Jesus. The thing that we have to recognize sometimes is that the pattern, the priority of Jesus is different from what the pattern, priority and purpose of my life is. Hey, in fact, one of the things that we can almost read scripture with is that there are times when we discover that this is what you expect, what you've experienced, what the world does. But Jesus does something different. The disciples were telling these kids to scram. It would have been normal. Kids don't get to be front in line. When everyone has a potluck supper, the kids should go to the back of the line, not to the front of the line. The kids just need to wait their turn. That's normal. But Jesus sees a completely different pattern, has a completely different set of priorities, and has a different purpose for his life. And he calls the disciples and says, listen, that's not the way we're going to do it anymore. You see, Jesus cares for children. I want you to notice that Jesus cares for these children. We're not really clear exactly what age these kids are. There's some point uh, between where they're, they're being brought by their parents, but it doesn't seem like their parents are carrying them to him. They're, they're coming on their own. So whatever number of kids these are, we don't know exactly what it is, but I'll tell you there was something about Jesus that, that they were comfortable being around Jesus. There was something about the grace of his spirit. There was something about the kindness of his spirit that, that they, they wanted to be around Jesus. And Jesus cared for these kids. This morning, as you have your kids in church with you this morning, as you have our kids here, then I want you to know that Jesus cares about these kids. And as Dylan prayed and as Brian introduced our, our prayer time this morning, Oh, it's not an easy time to be caring for kids. 
We, we have so many things that we worry about, so many things that we wonder about. And as Dylan kind of prayed, we're not entirely sure which side of the divide we want to follow. We, we, we want our kids back in school, but maybe we don't want our kids back in school. We, we, we want everything to be normal, but maybe we're not quite ready for everything to be normal. And, and as parents, we feel this pressure that says, and by doing this right, what I want you to know is the same Jesus who cared about those kids there on the plains is the same Jesus that cares about your kids. Now this may be an impossibility to figure out inside of your own heart and your own mind, but believe me, it's true. However amount you know your children, he knows them more. However amount you love your kids, he loves them more. However amount that you have a dream and a vision and great things in store for your kids, he has even more because this Jesus cares for children. I want to just emphasize one other place. Jesus doesn't just care for the children that are there on the plain with him there in the first century. And he doesn't just continue to care for our young'uns that we have with us today. But he cares for all of the kids, even some of those kids that aren't kids anymore. Anytime that we have a gathering of people this large, there are families that are represented that have adult kids who are struggling. And I want you to know in the same way that Jesus gathered up all of those children on that day, as Jesus gathers up all of those kids that are so cute, they're on your Christmas cards and all of that stuff, he still cares about them. And I want you to know that those adult kids that are struggling some way, shape, or form, he cares about them. Whether they are struggling financially, whether they're struggling emotionally, whether they're struggling spiritually, whether they're struggling relationally, whether they're struggling with addiction, whether they're struggling with self-image, or whatever it may be, the picture that you see of Jesus in our little story Bible books of gathering those kids up, that includes these adult kids as well, because Jesus cares for children. The same Jesus has the same compassion today for each category of our kids. Amen? I want you to see that the first promise is that Jesus cares for our children. The second promise is that weakness is a pathway to the kingdom. Weakness is a pathway to the kingdom. Jesus says something in here that's kind of odd. He says, do not hinder these little ones to come unto me because he says, for to such is the kingdom of God. Now again, sometimes we've been in church so long, sometimes we've been around the word of God so long that a sentence like that just kind of runs right over us. We just kind of nod our head and say, yeah. But I want you to just stop and think about it for a moment. Jesus looks at this group of kids some of them may or may not have had runny noses. He looks at these kids and he says, now that is what the kingdom of God is all about. Now you gotta kind of stop for a moment and say, okay, what is it about this gaggle of children 
that represents the kingdom of God. Now, I kind of was wondering about this. I'm wondering if this were the end of the school year instead of the beginning of the school year, if you were to say this passage of Scripture to a second-grade school teacher and said, listen, heaven is going to be just like all of these kids. I kind of wonder whether that second-grade school teacher said, you know what, what are the other options? You know, the, uh, eternity? I don't know about this. So, so what is this? Nothing against your kids that are second graders, I'm sure. Uh, th- those aren't the kids she's worried about. Uh, but, but what is it about these kids that Jesus says, now this is what the kingdom of God is like? You know, there's a popular workout mantra. It, it says, pain is weakness leaving the body. Have you you ever heard that one? Pain is weakness leaving the body. That's not always true. Pain sometimes is you should have stayed in bed a little longer. Uh, Sometimes pain is you turn 50 this year, get over this stuff. That's what pain is. But, But we have this idea that, listen, if I will do these things, if I will pursue these things, if I will work all of this effort, all of the weakness will leave my body. And in fact, that's the goal, is that we want to be growing as people in such a way that we get rid of all of our weakness. And if we can't get rid of our weakness, then we hide our weakness. But what Jesus is saying here, and many other places, is that, listen, you don't come into the kingdom by your strength, you come by your weakness, The very reason that the disciples overlooked these kids, the very reason that the disciples looked and said, get off my lawn, get get out of here, you're not important enough to be at the front of this line. The very reason why the disciples had that reaction is the reason why Jesus says, now that's what the kingdom of God looks like. It's not designed, it's not built for the people who look like they're first in line. It is designed for those folks who come with their weakness so obvious to their lives. See, our goal has been to eliminate weakness or at least hide it. But I will tell you, Jesus will tell you, that weakness is the key to the kingdom. And this is what we see in children. Children understand need. Children understand their limitations. Children know how to say Help me. Children know how to trust. Children know how to find security in a stronger person. I want you to think about the last time we had a big thunderstorm in the middle of the night. One of those nights where the sky lights up like it's the 4th of July. It's louder than the 4th of July. Boom, crash, and you can hear the the lightning and the thunder just synchronizing. And so it's like, that had to be like in the garage. That had to be right out front of our house. Now think about your kids. How often do your kids, in the middle of that giant thunderstorm, send you a text message and say, Mom and Dad, just want to let you know it's all good over here. We'll see you in the morning after our chores are all done. Like, man, I'd like that kind of thunderstorm you're thinking. But that's not what you get, is it? You, you get the sound of children running down the hallway. You get the sound of your children crawling into your bed, not on the edge of your bed, but right there between you and your spouse. They want to get as close as possible because they need you. And Jesus says, that's what the kingdom of God looks like. 
It looks like a group of people who know who to go to, who they need, and are dependent on the person that they run to. I want you to know that Jesus wants you to be like that child who knows his need, who knows his limitations, who knows how to say help me, who knows how to trust, who knows how to find security in the stronger person. And in the storm, and after the storm, that you know the way to run to Jesus and put your trust in him. See, weakness is the path to the kingdom. There's one more thing that I want us to look at and think about this morning. And that is that this passage isn't just about children. We've talked a little bit about the fact that Jesus cared about those children, he cares about these children, and he cares about your children. But I would also tell you that what we see here is children as a reminder, as a placeholder for anyone who's vulnerable. In fact, what I want you to see here is that Jesus stands up for the vulnerable. He says to the disciples, as these kids are coming and they're pushing them and shoving them away, Jesus says, do not hinder them. For to such is the kingdom of God. But he says, do not hinder them. Now they should have known this because just in the chapter previous to this, Jesus has said in, in Matthew chapter 18, uh, verses 4 and 5 and 6, he says, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He's already kind of covered this once. He says in verse 5, he says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Jesus says, don't hinder them. Jesus says, look after them. Now, this is a great and important message to us. This is a message to us about how we see children, about how we see the vulnerable. Uh, there's a person who has done a little bit of a study on the artist Vincent Van Gogh. You, you know, the guy with the starry night, uh, the guy, the ear, the, you know, the guy, man, what would he have done in a pandemic with the masks? I don't. Where was I? Uh, but you know Van Gogh and, and the starry night in particular in that picture, if you look there, it's all those bright yellow swirls. And some folks who have studied this have said those bright yellow swirls are all of the places that Van Gogh was looking for hope and light. And he wanted to see a place where there was hope and light everywhere. There was darkness, but there were all of these sources for hope and light. But the only thing is, if you look closely at the picture, there's one building in the entire cityscape that does not have light, does not have these yellow swirls. It's the church. And so whatever Van Gogh's story was, whatever his experience was, whatever the troubled things that he had experienced in his life, he looked and he says, I want to be able to find hope. I want to be able to find light. I want to be able to find love in all of these places, but the one place that I can't imagine finding it is in the place that carries the name of Jesus and the people who carry the name of Jesus. 
Van Gogh was a vulnerable person. But he saw church as the last place to find God. And Jesus says, if you make it more difficult to find Jesus, if you find it more, if you make it more difficult to find him, it is better that a millstone be tied around your neck and you be thrown into the depth of the sea. That's a hard statement. You know, there's all kinds of churches, church names, but you know what church name I've never run into? Millstone Community Church. Finally, folks, you're smart enough. Don't call yourself Millstone Community Church. I bet you if you Google it, you'll find one. But, but don't be Millstone Community Church where your presence makes it more difficult for someone to find Jesus, that you have hindered people by your words, by your actions, by your relationships, by your testimony, you have made it more difficult for someone to come and find Jesus. That's a message to us. But I would also tell you it's a message to you who is weak and vulnerable today. It is a promise to you who are weak and vulnerable. The promise is that he stands for you. He stands up for you. Jesus tells the story of two guys who went to the temple to pray. One guy's called a Pharisee. One guy's called a tax collector. In our language, um, the, the Pharisee is the guy that would have all the check pluses in his name. You know how some of the college football teams, they get little stickers when they do something right? They call them attaboys. And you can look at somebody's helmet and they got attaboys all over the place. That's the Pharisee. He's got all of the attaboys that they are. He's earned all the affirmations about doing all the right things in church and in life. And he comes to pray. But then next to him, standing some distance off, is the man who's called the tax collector. Now this is a person who had none of the attaboys. Nobody gave him a thumbs up. Nobody told him, you're doing a great job. In fact, every once in a while, I'll talk to somebody and say, well, I would come to church, but if I ever showed up, the, the, the roof would cave in. You ever heard somebody say that? Now, I think a lot of times people are just either saying that or as, as an excuse or they're saying that as a joke. But I'm going to tell you that there's people on your block who really do believe that because of who they are, what they've done, what they're in the middle of, their own self-image, all of the things they're dealing with, some of the brokenness in their life, the sin that they've accumulated in life, they really do believe that there's no place for them inside of the house of God. And you may be one of those people that you, you came, but you don't really think that, that this is your kind of place. I want you to know that when Jesus tells that story between the Pharisee, the guy with all of the attaboy stickers, and the guy that said, if I ever went to church, man, the roof would cave in. Jesus tells us that God heard one of their prayers. It was the guy whose heart said, if I ever walked into there, the roof would cave in. Now, why, why is that? It's because that man came to God in weakness and not arrogance. And Jesus always stands up for those who are weak and vulnerable. 
This is one of the messages that I wish that we could scream from the mountaintop. I wish we could whisper it in every place that we can. I wish that we could get this world, this word out because our world is full of people who are broken, who are weak, who are vulnerable, and we have a God. We have a Savior who says, I am here for you. And we've got to find a way to connect the vulnerable, the weak, with the Jesus who says, I stand up for you in this place and in this time and in your life. Again, it is weakness as the pathway to the kingdom. So what's the, the now what this morning? Uh, the most pressing now what this morning is the statement that says, if you are weak and you are vulnerable, and you've never had the experience that Mark celebrated this morning of having turned your life over to Christ and had him forgive you of your sins, then he stands up for you. Jesus says, I care about your life. I care about where, where you are. He says, I gave my life for you. And he would say to everyone else in this room, do not hinder that person coming to me. And in fact, he would say to you, do not hinder yourself coming to him. And if you need to receive him in your weakness and in your vulnerability, then you can simply pray a prayer that says something like this. Jesus, I don't necessarily know how or why that you would receive a person like me. But I'm going to take you at your word and I'm going to ask you to heal my brokenness, to forgive my sins, to receive me in my weakness and my vulnerability. And for you to be in charge of my life from this moment forth. I pray this in your name. Amen. I want you to know that if, if that's the prayer of your heart, he hears you today. And there's not a single person that can stand in the way of Jesus receiving you. The receiving of Jesus is not by coming forward. It's not by doing. It is your heart speaking to him in words similar to what we just spoke. So if you're weak and vulnerable today, he is here for you. I would also tell you families, he wants to bless you. He wants to bless you. He wants to bless your kids. He wants to bless your marriage. He wants to bless every part of your life. Would you let him bless you? I would encourage you to be careful in the decisions that you make and the structure of your life that you make that you don't run counter to the blessings that he wants to give you. Make the kind of choices that echo with the blessings of Jesus for your life. And then the last application question that I want you to think about this morning is, is your life, is our church, is your life making it easier or more difficult for someone to find Jesus? 
We're surrounded by people who are broken and hurting. And when they paint the picture of the town, they have a hard time imagining light, hope, love. Maybe they have a hard time imagining it coming from your house or your cubicle or your church. What are we doing to help people know this is the way to find Jesus? We're going to pray. We're going to have a time of response. I'm going to be at my table, not in the foyer, but out in the back there. And if I can pray with you, Michael's around. He'll probably be hanging around up front here. We'd love to pray with you, ask, answer any questions for you. Let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, you always give us a good word, and we live grateful for it. Lord, we thank you that you care about children, all kinds of children. We thank you, Lord, that we don't have to come to you with an incredibly polished list of achievements, but we come to you in our weakness. And Lord, we thank you that you stand up for anyone who's weak and vulnerable. Lord, I pray that we would have that same heart that you have. We pray this in your name. Amen.